to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, COVID, anything that's relatable to those subjects, anything that helps you, your organization, your community plan for and respond to and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have us address a topic, please feel free, send me an email on YouTube. You do have my LinkedIn profile uh, link in the description. I'm the only Alex Fullick on there, so I'm pretty easy to find. And on Voice America, you can go to the show's graphic page. Underneath the graphic, there is a little button that says send the host an email, and I do respond to everything. Longtime listeners and uh, newly watchers, uh, you should know that uh, there's a couple of people I tend to talk to every so often about what's going on and uh, some new ways of thinking. And I don't think they need much of an introduction because a lot of people know who they are now. I'd like to welcome back to the show, Mark Armour and Dr. David Linston. Guys, welcome back. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here. I think it's your uh, fifth, fifth appearance on the show now. Nice. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. And see, you know, do, we get a, do we get a prize after? Yeah, after like, five? hey, like SNL, you know, when you get on five you times you're hosting, yeah. then like you get a special, <laughs> like a smoking jacket, I think something would be Yeah, like, would like be the good. one I've got. Yeah, with a be little embroidery on it there, you know. <laughs> hey, it's in the mail. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout. So, what's been happening, guys? Um, geez, you know, uh, there's, well, a lot has been happening, but let's say, what changed for you guys in 2020 or what has been changing for you guys uh, in 2020 into 2021? So for, for me, obviously, I think personally, the same as everybody else, right? I've had to contend with lockdowns and, and the loss of all of my fun outlets like concerts and movies and sports and all that stuff. Um, but I will say on, on kind of the work front, um, things have been going relatively well. I mean, I, I am happy to say that I've never loved my job more. I've never felt I've delivered more value than, than where I am and what I'm doing. I've never felt I work for a, a better group of people than I, than I currently do. So um, nothing significantly changed. Uh, what I can say is in 2020, um, obviously, we've been responding to the global pandemic. At the same time, we've, we've had numerous other events affecting us in, uh, in multiple countries and multiple markets, uh, but that hasn't prevented uh, me or the team that I work with from continuing to improve our capabilities and build on what we've, what we've been doing over the past several years. So that's, that's been rewarding. That's been good. And, and thank goodness, again, because of all the anxiety and stress, we've, again, that we've all had to deal with this past year. David, for you? I guess on a personal level, you know, if you if you can wake up in the morning and the family's alive and healthy and you have a job, everything else is gravy. So, you know, I guess it's been it's been just good enough. Uh, still always waiting for the other shoe to drop and the with the, the mutations that we're seeing coming through and the the slowness of the vaccine rollout. I, I, I mean, I think we see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, just is it a is it is it six months away? Is it 12 months away? And will I live to see it? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, in light of all of that, just as an FYI, because Mark, you mentioned lockdowns uh, as of midnight last night, uh, here in Ontario, we're in emergency lockdown. Ooh. So, because <laughs> our numbers just started going, you know, skyrocketing. So, we're now in emergency lockdown. So, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, I'm at home all the time a- anyway. So, <clears throat> it's not <laughs> much of a change. It helps. Me, but, you know, still, it's, uh, I know it's difficult for a lot of people. Um, with adaptive, I have noticed. And uh, I've actually interviewed a few people uh, for YouTube and Voice America now that seem to be uh, quoting you guys. 
So, yeah, like two years ago, two and a half, I forget when uh, we first spoke, there was so much objection to what you guys were saying. So what's been changing? What are you seeing changing now? <sighs> um, I think same as you, I think there's a much broader awareness of adaptive business continuity. Um, I mean, one of the things I've actually been busy with is uh, my evenings and weekends. I've been doing presentations and, and podcasts like this one, um, webinars, participating in panel discussions. And it seems like there's a lot more interest and a lot of people who maybe in the past had heard of adaptive uh, maybe they formulated opinion are actually starting to reach out and they're actually starting to genuinely take some interest in what we're saying and what we're promoting. And I've, I've seen a lot of people now who are kind of turning around and as you, as you've seen and experienced um, are now actually starting to promote some of what we've been talking about ourselves. So it's, it's been good. And I, I think in 2021, that's probably only going to accelerate. Why do you think that the change is you know, happening now? I can't help but think it's been the results of this past year, right? Um, I think a lot of organizations and probably a lot of individuals struggled this past year. Um, at the same time, even those who didn't, I think people are starting to see that what they focused on that provided benefit versus some of the things that they've tried to do and tried to develop that hasn't provided any value in responding to this event has opened some some eyes. I think I think people who... People are kind of already on board. They've kind of started actively taking on or, or performing some of the things that we recommend. And then I think I think some of the folks who perhaps um, weren't familiar with what we did or they felt that we weren't providing anything significantly new to the profession are really starting to see, okay, this is this is not just something that that's that you kind of put in parallel to the other stuff that we've been doing, but it really is or should be the primary focus of what we do and the means by which we work and we operate. So I think I think 2020's provided its challenges, but to a degree it's also provided its opportunities. It's forced people to be creative to be innovative, to think outside the box. And I think in doing so, when people then stumble back upon the adaptive principles and what we've talked about, they've, they've said, oh, well, now I kind, of, I kind of understand now. Let me, let me dive a little bit deeper into this. Maybe, maybe reach out to folks like yourself and to David and I. Well, I, David, do you have anything to add? Uh, not significantly. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a... I've been thinking more about like complex systems and uh, and uh, the the Kinefin model of complexity and those types of things. David Snowden just finally came out with I think the first book on Kinefin in the last couple of months. So, anyway, um, so who knows why why this why now how, what kind of traction those types of things. But but I think it, uh, the the world is an increasingly complex place um, with with the political things going on with the way that COVID is a, a, a dynamic system in itself that feedbacks, feeds back on itself and is, is iterative, all nonlinear, all these things going on right now. Um, and uh, I think too, we, we also have, you know, organizations are moving forward with lean and with agile and with Six Sigma and with entrepreneurialism, all the things that we've been talking about and that we've built from the ground up into adaptive. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of these things are just coming together. You, we have organizations that are reaching out to us now. They're like, hey, we're a lean organization. We use agile. We want to deliver rapid results. We want to have, and you know, this sort of the, the long linear traditional models that we have for doing business continuity uh, might work in the simple and complicated known environments. But when you make that shift over to a very complex system that these are big uh, organizations and businesses and governments and cities and lives and communities are, that doesn't work. You need a different approach to deal and try and plan for, for complex and adverse uh, situations and circumstances. Well, I, I think it's interesting that uh, throughout COVID that there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk about, you know, one of those key cornerstones, you know, those dreaded three letters, BIA, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, at the forefront of any discussions right now. And yet when uh, Adaptive first came along, 
everybody said that's the cornerstone. You know, every disaster, that's what we got to look at. Well, COVID came along and seems to have turned that on its head because that's not the word, you know, uh, COVID is a, I don't want to say is the worst case scenario, but it's turned the worst case scenario up on its head because facilities are available, people are available, processes are still there, you know, and yet the BIA was focused on, you know, establishing what happens when one of those isn't there. Well, they're all there now. So what good was all that BIA stuff? Yeah, we, it, there, there aren't people, there aren't many people standing up and saying, thank goodness we had the BIA, we would have been lost without it. Uh, that's the first thing our executives went for. As soon as there was a crisis, they grabbed a copy of the BIA and went down, that, that wasn't there. And also, I don't think many people said, thank goodness we had big binder documents uh, available to us. I mean, even uh, we saw that the federal government apparently had done some very nice uh, planning under the Bush administration and the Obama administration for a pandemic and had some very nice playbooks and stuff, and they just weren't used. Um, and so I think that's the interesting question. And this is, and Mark likes to talk about, this is sort of the first sort of global crisis that we've all had to, to, to respond to in the same kinds of situations uh, and in different ways. It's, it's the first big global business continuity experiment. And, um, you know, I think uh, people, purposefully or, or, or not are looking back at the last year and going, okay, what worked? Yeah, what, what worked? Did the big plans work? Did the binders work? Did the documents work? And I think, you know, adaptive really tries to make that shift from get rid, stop thinking about the deliverables and the documents and the, the, the activities that have to be produced and look at the capabilities. Um, I, I wouldn't fault any organization by and large. I wouldn't fault most organizations for not having a pandemic plan, but you should darn well have had a, an approach that deals with the loss of locations and people and resources. And in this case, um, you know, it was the first thing to go were the locations and they went fast. And I don't think anybody thought that was what was gonna happen. Um, I know back in 2006, when we were doing the H5N1 planning, we all were, were planning on, oh, a pandemic means loss of people. So we're planning loss of people, loss of people. And not this one. Mm -mm. No, we lost the buildings. So, you know, yes, you should have had. And so getting rid of that focus from, from the documents and the deliverables to the capabilities. And right there, I think we have that big, big switch. And in thinking through you know, did we have the capabilities that we needed to address COVID? And some did and some didn't. And, and what were those? And should we, can we double down on some of those? Can we get rid of other ones? How do we, how do we make it better? I, I'm going to, I'm going to add on that. So I, I think uh, the question when you, when you posed it, Alex, is, is that COVID was different than anything that we've experienced before. And, and here's my, here's my belief and what I've seen and read. I, I've been in business company for 18 years. Anytime there's been a major event, from September 11th to Hurricane Katrina in the US to um, the earthquake tsunami in Fukushima meltdown in Japan, uh, the tsunami in Sri Lanka, um, wildfires or brush fires in Australia. We've learned these lessons, but those lessons have been learned in isolation in these small geographic regions. So these lessons have only been experienced by a handful of organizations. And what happens? A year later, these organizations are all being shouted down by all these other organizations that didn't go through that particular event and are still championing their traditional way of business mm. continuity. Yeah, yeah. COVID has been global. We are all learning these, these examples. We're all learning these lessons together now. So this, we're going to come out of this and no one's going to come around and say, oh, well, no, 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 no. We should go back to the way we were doing things before because everyone has experienced and learned from these lessons. And I, I don't think there's, it's going to be the organizations that go back to the way we were doing things are going to be very, very few and far between. So do you think that's going to uh, change the business continuity uh, industry, um, you know, fundamentally, you know, on the basic levels because of what we're going through? I, I, I guess it's kind of a loaded question, but, you know, <laughs> you know, because of what we're going through, is it really going to change a lot? Do you think it'll change a lot going forward? It remains to be seen. Um, I, I, I can't remember if it was discussing with you or, or, or somebody else. Um, it's going to have, it's going to take more than just business continuity professionals and even business continuity leadership 
to change, right? It's gonna, the change is gonna have to be driven by executives, CFOs, CIOs, um, the leaders of organizations to say, you know what, what we were doing before this didn't provide value. We wanna see value and we actually wanna see benefit, benefit from the investment we're making in business continuity beyond simply making sure that internal audit or regulators are off our back. David, anything to? Uh... Uh, I'll just say I don't. I don't think. I mean, we're coming up on a year um, of having to deal with COVID, and I don't see. I've seen some changes uh, from the BCI. I haven't seen any changes from DRI. Um, but I don't see, you know, boards of, of regulators and auditors and CFOs and plan people coming together. Like, there's got to be a better way. Um, there, there had some of those conversations, but but nobody's really standing up and going, "Wow, this this was inefficient. This was ineffective." Um, there needs to be a a better, tighter, uh, more um, what just a fit efficient, rational way to plan for for business continuity. Um, I don't think that COVID alone are going to make those changes, but I think COVID and having, I mean, it has affected every single person on the globe by and large. This isn't just like, you know, the executives are figuring out how to deal with a, a, a competitor, a new competitor in the market or a disruptive technology, right? This is something that we can all share. Um, so I feel like this and some other inputs into that whole system and into our industry might make those changes. Again, I think we're seeing some, uh, um, well, a, a coming together, a, a new formation of, again, a, a, a agile and lean and market disruptions and, and great complexities and all of these things coming together, I think may have to change the way uh, that we're doing business continuity just because it's, it's, it's all changing the way we do business. Change is think, warranted based on what's going on. Sorry, I think David. I think no. I think I think professionals are going to change how they practice. Uh, un- unfortunately, the standards take so long to change. ISO two two three zero one released their newest at the end of two thousand and nineteen, and that took seven years. And if you compare it to two thousand and twelve, the changes were pretty minimal. It took seven years, really, just to modify some language. Um, if that's the pace that we're going to make change, then it's going to be very slow in coming at, at a leadership and at a standards and practices level. It's going to have to be driven by professionals and by people outside the profession. Well, so, sometimes I think change is driven by the wrong people. You know, so you've got these organizations, DRI, B, you know, BCI and ISO and so many others that aren't really the proper drivers for change. You know, the, the drivers for change should be the organizations and the professionals themselves, but it tends to be the organization, you know, no, I'm not ready for that yet. You know, we're working on something else, you know, and it, you just don't get what uh, you want to happen as fast as you want it to happen. Yeah. Sadly. You know, and, and what Mark pointed out with, uh, you know, the, the prolonged, very damaging disasters of, like Mark said, like Fukushima and Christchurch and Hurricane Katrina and the wild, for those is really big and prolonged ones. Mark's right. We've, we, sh- we have at least all the data available to learn from those and what matters. Um, and here's what's going to be one of the challenges is some of those things uh, turn out to be things that we've not typically talked about in business continuity. So one of the things from the research is pretty clear. Um, the more capital an organization has in reserve, the better off they're going to be to, to, to recover from disaster. That's not a business continuity professional's pitch, but it probably should be. Um, The other couple of things are just the infrastructure in the area, right? If the infrastructure has held up and can be repaired quickly, that also helps with the the coming back. That's not something under our control. But here's one that is under our control, which is the the, the empathy uh, and the soft skills and the active listening and the caring and the, again, I'll just sort of say the, the soft skills uh, of leadership and management and frontline people working with customers. That is absolutely uh, one of the factors in managing prolonged disasters, including morale. 
um, you know, if people have a bad morale uh, going into a disaster, you know, it, it, there is a 50%, and this is some of the research that came out of the uh, Christchurch, uh, some of the Christchurch research, there's a 50% flight risk. Um, people that don't, afre- don't feel appreciated before a disaster typically don't feel more appreciated uh, during a disaster. Um, and they'll stay for a little while to get people through that bit, but after they feel relaxed enough, to, they leave. So things like soft skills, active listening, leadership, empathy, uh, mirroring, uh, uh, all of these, these pieces together and, and, and being able to, to, to deal with the morale issues. And, and, and Mark and I have talked before about um, empowerment, right? It's clear and the, the research from the military shows this and research from sports teams and airlines, right? You wanna have the guiding principles for what a department needs to do, what an organization needs to do to recover, but they've got to have the empowerment to be able to make decisions and take actions on their own. You can't tell what the best way to react to the disaster is going to be. You've got to give the people the flexibility within guidelines and guide rails of how to address the situation as it unfolds. Mark, do you have anything to add? No, I think I think that's that's spot on. Um, I think there's some opportunities to talk about how we can how we can demonstrate the value of business continuity and how we actually measure the value of business continuity, along along with all the things that David mentioned. It, these are all things that are measurable, and and they're not simply a measurement based on conformity to a standard. Right? We're not simply saying, did you perform a BIA? Did you write a plan? Has it been reviewed and approved? No, these are concrete measures that academic research demonstrates actually contributes to improved outcomes when disruptions and disasters occurred. If, if, if we can measure these, then we can improve them, right? And we can continue to measure and demonstrate the improvements that we're making. So, uh, but I don't want to go too far into those particular weeds um, unless you, uh, you want me well, to. I, I do have a few questions for you in the next segment. So, perfect. <laughs> We're talking today with Mark Armour and David Lindstedt from, uh, excuse me, Adaptive Business Continuity. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Say It Skillfully is my new radio show about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. Call in and I'll help you find the right words to tackle any difficult conversation or ticklish situation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you are part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Join me live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's time to future-proof your business. Join host Bonnie D. Graham for the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve. Presented by Deloitte, SAP solutions help you transform your business. And we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. Clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Mark Armour and David Lindstedt from Adaptive BC. Guys, lots of information in the first segment, as always. Um, you got me thinking about uh, different disaster triggers. You know, a lot of practitioners and organizations, we always have to think about different scenarios. But when it came to COVID, things just kind of snap of a finger, you know, governments, um, either local or federal, and organizational leadership just said, as of such and such, you're going home. You know, so do we need to change our thoughts on different scenarios that, hey, things could happen at any time. You know, we can't just look in the future for a hundred year flood and be prepared for it, you know. Uh, indeed. And I, I think the trap that we tend to get into in the business continuity and, and really any preparedness discipline, whether it's emergency management or crisis management, um, is this belief that just because we can anticipate or predict some kind of event or threat, that that's all we need to do. That, that get, we can understand the consequences and the impact of that event when it occurs. And that is not at all true. I mean, people talk about COVID-19 being a black swan versus a gray rhino. And, and that discussion, I believe, is, is irrelevant. Whether we saw this coming, and we know a lot of people in the profession are now saying, I told you so, and we should have been better prepared, blah, blah, blah. None of that really matters because simply knowing that there is an event such as a pandemic or a tropical storm or a power outage or a terrorist event on the horizon doesn't give us the information that we actually need to be able to respond for the consequences of that event when it eventually materializes. And, and we are in a global complex environment where there's all sorts of cascading effects and impacts from an event when it occurs that it's almost impossible to even predict what those consequences are going to be and what we might have to do to react. The problem in business continuity is, is we focus solely on the organization and the impact of the organization. We're not considering, well, this event could affect our customers and our clients. And the result is it's going to affect their demand for our products and services. It's gonna affect how they consume those products and services if we're say a restaurant or a retail store, right? Mm -hmm. Reacting to COVID-19. So we, we kind of need to get this concept of, of we're predicting risks, risks and anticipating the consequences out of our mind. And instead think of, think of building the competence and the ability for the organization to respond and recover collaboratively when these events occur with those unintended consequences and how best to respond. And again, it's that is achieved through all the capabilities that David talked about earlier. It's the empathy, it's the collaboration, it's the agility, it's the capacity and the resource availability. David, do you have anything to, to add? Man, that is such a rich topic. I mean, Mark's really on to something here. And, and I don't think we've, and even I'm starting to just digest. Uh, he, I've heard him talk about this just a couple of times now. And even I'm just starting to digest. He's, he's really on to something in that, you know, everyone said, you know, we've been saying a, a pandemic could happen. We've been saying this can happen. We've been saying, yes, we've saying all sorts of bad things can happen. And, and, but that doesn't help us prepare for how it's going to happen and what the impacts are going to be. Um, and that's really interesting because uh, what that means is that, you know, again, we, we all would have prepared for the, for, for those who really prepare for the pandemic, you know, nobody, I'm guessing, was going to foresee that the different ways that different governments responded uh, in enforcing certain rules and locking things down or opening things up. Um, the sort of just the chaos of, well, this group says I can't do this. This says this group says I can, and this group says I should, and how should I do that and all. But it, this is really interesting because what it points to is really really once again, trying to get away from, you know, it, there's probably some deep level of unpredictability about how a big disaster and a prolonged disaster is going to unfold. And you can't plan for that. You can't have a playbook for it. What you can do is have the capabilities there that are, that will allow you again, the, 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 the guardrails, the guiding principles, the objectives that you're going to have, the mission of each one of the departments as it goes into the organization as a whole. So you can make decisions, you can take actions, you can be flexible, all of those things together. That's how you're going to have to prepare. And again, 
this is how the, the military does it, right? Uh, if we were going to go off into uh, very adverse circumstances and go try and do something, you know, we, we're not going to plan every single step and expect it to happen in a linear fashion. What we're going to do is get the training, the capabilities, the resources that we need, right? The resources, the procedures, the competencies that I've got to have and the guiding principles and the objectives that I need to get. And then let it go because it's going to be those frontline boots on the ground people. And, you know, that's where we saw a lot of, not only was it the, the, the senior leaders that made a big difference in responding to COVID, but frontline people and the way that they came up with interesting and different ways to continue to service uh, the customer. So um, this is really, I mean, we're, we all need to think a little bit more about what that means because I think Mark's onto something, uh, something inter- important here. And David brought up plans. I, I, I personally believe that, um, our focus on plans and plan materials and documents and how we develop them has been completely off center. Um, I, I actually believe that that basing all of our work on the development of plans and setting the expectation that a set of procedures is going to get you through a specific disaster, it, it's it's not only wrong, it's counterproductive. So I think that's something that we need to significantly change. With yeah. So this is something interesting too, that Mark's been starting to talk about, which is, so here's a, here's a th- sort of a thought experiment. So to pick any department, right? Suppose let's just take HR because, because they were nice and diverse and they have an interest. So take HR and which, which position are they going to be better in if they think that there is a group of people somewhere who are going to know what to do in a disaster and who are going to come in and take care of them and tell them what to do? Or to say, no, that stuff doesn't exist here. You know, you're going to kind of be on your own and you're going to have to figure those things out. Um, it's, it's like the, the mindset that a lot of uh, people are in that, oh, um, if I can uh, shelter in place for 72 hours, then FEMA will come and help me. Somebody will come to my rescue if I can just do nothing successfully for 72 hours, and then the government will come in and help me. Well, that's not going to happen. Maybe it happened, but you can't count on that. So it's an interesting thought to think maybe um, the idea of having a a small group that's at a senior level uh, that has documents on on business continuity uh, and the plan to respond may well be counterproductive. It might actually be better to to say, no, you know, you are each responsible. We are all responsible for what we're going to do to continue our services under adverse and complex situations. And Alex, maybe after the break, we can talk about, look, those adverse and complex situations don't have to be natural disasters. They can be mergers and acquisitions. They can be disruptors in the marketplace. They can be new competitors. Um, we, We need to think differently about, I think, what business continuity is preparing us for. I, I think some of the, the, from what you're saying with the chats that we have and all those awareness sessions that we have, we've kind of ingrained it, I think, into some people. This is the way it, it happens. You know, here's the binder, follow the binder. And then when something happens outside of that, there's a struggle, you know, to try and respond appropriately. You know, it, we've kind of taken uh, the traditional approach sometimes is taking the ability for people to be uh, agile and adaptive to a situation. Because it, it, you know, it, it. You both have said before, even today, probably, you know, it doesn't unfold the way you want it to, you know, or you wish it, you know, uh, would unfold. You know, it, it's a, a disaster is un- unpredictable. So why are we trying to plan and respond as though it is? Yep. And you know, exactly. Alex, it, it, we're on, now you're onto another interesting point, which, you know, maybe we have to be a bit more nuanced about how we think of different types of disasters. Um, You know, prolonged disasters have some different characteristics about them than the more acute and short-term ones in their impact, their effects, uh, the kinds of things that help uh, get you through those things. Um, And again, there may be some very significant differences between uh, sort of disasters that are relatively simple or complicated, but don't move over to the, the complex or chaotic. Um, and if that kind of modeling is right, the kinds of things you need to do to manage a simple or complicated problem are different than the kinds of things you need to do to manage a complex or chaotic problem. And maybe we need to be a bit more nuanced in the way that we plan for those kinds of different impacts. 
Mark, do you have anything to add to that? Or? No, no, David is, David is, is spot on. It's, it's, it's really just a fundamental change in how we think about business continuity. It's, it's, not, it's not defining some target that we all march towards. It's, it's understanding better where we currently stand and the options available to us to improve where we're standing to, to be in a better position tomorrow. Those are two completely different approaches and mindsets to business continuity. And I, I think it, until we wrap our heads around that, uh, it's going to be a struggle. And, and let's face it, you, you talked about, um, you know, we, we, we kind of have this whole structure within business continuity, and it's driven by the certification organizations that, that basically pounds this concept of it's this life cycle that, that enables us to develop plans and then we test and, and practice those plans. That's really counterproductive to our genuine mission, which, is, should, which should be to basically improve the capabilities and better prepare the individuals and the teams in the organization to respond to a wide variety of impacts and, and, and issues and consequences that can't be predicted and, and whose, whose broader impact we can't possibly know. I, I've been speaking with a few people on the show uh, recently, and they've said that business continuity needs to get more involved with uh, risk management uh, procedures and looking at risk differently. Do you have any thoughts on, on that? I do. Do you want me to start, David? <laughs> um, <Step back. laughs> I, yeah, I, I, think, I think we get into trouble when we try to conflate preparedness and, and risk management. Risk management are the things that we can kind of do to deal, do to deal with the risks and the threats that are known, right? We can, if the options are there and we have the resources to vote to them, we can limit the possibility of them occurring or, or reduce the impact when they do occur. Business continuity and preparedness is solely focused on when that risk materializes. What are we going to do? And I think uh, my, my honest belief is that the business company's profession or the business company profession's focus on risk management is a, is a terrible distraction, right? It's, it's less time devoted to preparedness. And, and my feeling is, is time and effort devoted to risk management is time taken away from preparedness and vice versa. There's no one activity you can perform that accomplishes both missions. And if business continuity is going to concern itself with risk management and mitigation, that's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to be poorly prepared when those risks and those issues materialize. That's, that's my feeling. And, 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 and the only thing I will add is the business continuity profession is woefully unaware of the discussions and the debates that are actually occurring in the risk management discipline. There's operational and organizational risk management that has kind of a kind of a traditional business continuity approach to risk management, and they are at odds with, with a more robust quantitative risk management approach that, that I think that the true thought leaders and the true leaders of that, that profession are, are advocating and promoting. And if we don't understand that, we're going to get this all wrong. So not only are we taking time away from preparedness, but even our approach to risk management is bad and terrible and going to result in, in just bad decisions and bad risk management. David, do you have anything to add? I can't really speak to risk management. It's not my area of expertise. I will only say that it probably makes sense from a what categorical view to say there are probably things you need to do to try and prevent the bad thing from happen. And then there's things you need to do to prepare uh, the organization for the manifestation of those bad things if it does happen anyway. Um, I think uh, that's the purview of risk management to try and prevent it and the purview of business continuity to prepare you to deal with it. Um, and I think then that sort of lays out the proper framework of what should be done. It's about all I can really say on that. Okay. I, I think Mark uh, said it well, you know, if we are focusing on risk, then we're still sticking to that same thing of responding to known stuff, you know, um, because, you know, risk deals with the stuff we know about. So we're not really moving forward. We're actually muddying the waters uh, more, you know. Yeah. So today we're talking with Mark Armour and David Linstead of Adapted BC. We'll be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Everybody has the key to a good story. Business is made up of some of the best. Starting a business from the ground up. Acquisitions, reinventing business and personal lives. Stories of fraud, lessons, good stories, and not so good ones. They all come together on Business Disrupted with Ted Gavin. We'll learn what lives behind the scenes of some of the most interesting figures and companies in business. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Mark Armour and David Lidstan, Adaptive BC. Uh, Guys, lots of great information so far. Uh, David, you started to talk about some soft skills that we may want to consider in business continuity. And with COVID especially, there's a lot of uh, mental health concerns, and you kind of touched on that. So how do we uh, consider that as uh, something we need to look at as uh, professionals? Yeah, okay. So and, and I you couldn't make this up. So just today, new research came out from The Ohio State University um, that says fears related to COVID and mortality can derail many people from their work responsibilities. However, a new international study proves business leaders can not only alleviate some of this fear, but also increase community engagement, right? So here we have, now, this isn't, I mean, we're when people, we start talking about uh, soft skills and being human beings and those things, we immediately go to, oh, this is touchy-feely stuff. This is bottom line financial impact we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, keeping customers. We're talking about keeping products. We're talking about all the things that matter to a business. Um, and what the research is very clear uh, from prolonged disasters, especially, and again, the Christchurch and Hurricane Katrina, these, these researches there, um, the more empathetic that leaders can be, the more they show real, genuine care for their employees, and then a load of soft skills that go with that, right? The better that uh, frontline people can listen to their customers and do active listening and, and feedback and really try and hear what they're saying, because it's the customers that have to, it's the frontline staff typically that are out there supporting the customers, answering the phones, writing the emails, Um and again, and the ability to, to make decisions, uh, to take initiative, and let's think about creativity and innovation, right? The solutions to the problems of, uh, that are coming up in our world now are not simple solutions. Um, we're going to have to try and experiment with little things, see what's working, see what's not working, change those. What worked in the first month of COVID is not what works in the third month and is not what works now. All of these are different. 
And so you really have this very human element to business continuity that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to go to leadership about it because uh, it's messy and it's human. And um, But it's a bottom line financial issue uh, that has to be dealt with. And so, yes, not just mental health, but creativity and innovation and problem solving and uh, an active listening and care and all of that put together um, is a huge piece. And look, um, that's very... Isn't that contradictory to some of the things they tell us we should be doing, like asking questions in BIAs and, you know, and, and things like that? It doesn't that almost sound as though it's the opposite? Yes. And that worries me too, because it, you want to you wanna play like you practice, right? And if we're preparing people to respond to disasters by filling in specific numbers and answering specific questions and doing, you know, the, it, it makes it sound like, oh, in the disaster, what you'll do is answer specific questions, fill in specific numbers. That's not right. What we do in disasters is improvise and create and fail and succeed. And it's messy. And we have to, we should, we should be uh, creating preparedness in that same way, right? We should be uh, drinking, try, trying different things. Right? We should, gamifications and, and videos and, and emotional intelligence and design thinking and all the things. We should be bringing these things to the planning, the preparation sessions so that people see this is how disasters are going to be. Uh, and you need to, to think in these types of terms. Mark, you looked like you were going to jump in there at one point. Do you have anything no. David is 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 spot on as as usual. Um, the, the only thing I'll add, right, is is I think um, you, we can't we can't simply think of to the point that you made originally, like employee well being and emotional safety and all that stuff. We can't simply think of this in terms of COVID nineteen, um, and for two reasons: we don't know what the next event's going to be. Um, and the other reason is we can't wait to think about these things when the disaster occurs. It's already too late. These are things we need to think about now. If, if employee well-being, if psychological safety, if diversity, if these are not priorities within the organization before the event, they're, they're, it's going to be harder to make them priorities after the event. And they're only going to exacerbate the problems and the issues that you're going to experience when that event occurs. The other thing that I kind of want to, I want to add too, right, is, is obviously Dave and I are talking about a lot of big things that involve like HR and IT and um, yeah, agile, DevOps, adaptability, innovation, diversity. Uh, I think a lot of people might come away thinking, well, we want business continuity professionals to be experts in all these areas. And I don't don't think that's necessarily what we have to be. I think if we understand this, we can pull in the resources that are experts in things like safety, um, human resources, um, health and well-being. We can pull in the resources that we need around innovation and agility. And really, I look at our job or our role as being drastically different than we've traditionally thought of it, right? Where we traditionally think of business company professionals as, well, we're the ones who develop the controls and help develop the strategies and and help either develop the plans or provide the the templates that those plans and procedures are based on. And we need to get that concept out of our head. What our role really should be is helping to illustrate and paint a picture for leadership and managers and supervisors and employees within the organization that helps them to understand those capabilities, right? So we, we can illustrate, hey, here's, here's where we are in, in terms of empathy. Here's where we are in terms of empowerment and delegating authority. Here's where we are in terms of trust within the organization. Here's the capacity we have in terms of the resources and the capital um, and the individuals that we might need to rely on in response to an event. Now, leadership and management they have the data to make informed decisions. Remember, going back to what I said before, which is this is about understanding where we currently stand and all the avenues available to us that can improve where we stand and make us stand in a better position tomorrow. But it's really leadership that needs to make that decision and they need to take ownership of that decision. So if their decision is, you know what, we really have low empathy or we really don't have very much capacity. Now they're making a decision that they're going to invest in the resources they need, or they're going to develop a program to improve that empathy. And now you can help support that, but there's obviously going to have to be people with expertise in that area to make those necessary improvements. You, you got me thinking of uh, 
two two points. I actually posted a video on that. You know, we can't be everything to everybody, and I got a um, you know. I don't want to say hate mail, but I got a Gosh. lot of a lot of uh, comments back saying, you know, hey, we have to know all this stuff. I'm going, nobody on the planet can know everything. So okay. why are you saying that you do? You know, um, so the, to, to that point, the other one is um, office place work violence. It's happened before. So if something does happen, you know, if all these people end up going back into the office, they've been stressed out, you know, to David's point with mental health, they're stressed out. Now they've got to adapt to, something um, different again, which could be a new trigger for something. So how come we have all these policies in place, you know, with workplace violence and all this and that, but we actually don't have anything that responds to it. You know, we're, we're not really yeah. prepared for it. You know, believe it or not, we only have about four minutes left already. You know, time just flies when I talk <laughs> to you guys. So um, Mark, do you want to take a minute and a half for any final thoughts? And then David, you uh, with, with any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts to leave our listeners with. I, I, maybe just to reiterate what I mentioned before, which is I, I think if any of this resonates with you, whether you're familiar with adaptive or not, um, I, think, I think the key is not just to understand the individual principles or that we're simply getting away from methodology or that we shouldn't do a BIA really understand that this is a fundamental rethinking of what business continuity is and how it's achieved. And, and, and if you're going to take any steps, it's, it's in changing your mindset ar around business continuity and, and how it should be practiced. David? There are many analogies and instances of the kind of things that we're talking about here in the changes that we're trying to make in the industry. And the one I'm most familiar with is project management. You know, look, project management came out of the aerospace, uh, particularly and defense, 1950s, 1970s. And the methodology was inputs and outputs and, uh, and uh, calculations and all very dry and all stuff I could do at my desk and typing in things. And now project management has realized, look, if you can't motivate people, if you can't get people to do what they want, if you can't get the things across, if you don't have the soft skills, that stuff is, will not, you have to have both. And, um, and to think about now project management was seen as sort of like a lower middle management, but in changing the conversation in project management, instead of deliverables to value Project management continues to rise inside of the organization because instead of uh, following inputs and outputs to make certain deliverables, if now we're working, we're partnering with the customer, we're creating value, that's going to be much more important and helpful to the, to the uh, organization. And on that, we've come to the end of the show. Guys, it's always great talking to you. Um, I know we had an agenda and I think we touched on one or two of the points and that's it. So. You know, uh, I, I, that's why I love talking with you guys because we never really follow the script. It was always still a good discussion. <laughs> always a pleasure, Alec. Always yeah. a pleasure. So thanks again. Um, and uh, I just wanted to uh, remind everyone, if you do want to learn more about Adaptive, uh, you guys have a website too, right? And you have a certification training course of which I, yeah. I took and have my certification. So um, check out it's, uh, Adaptive BC. P. AdaptiveBCP.org. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I knew I was going to get it wrong. AdaptiveBCP.org. Check it out. Uh, lots of great information, and you get to talk to these guys, too. So thanks again, everyone. And in the meantime, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.